Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of Sports Illustrated Weekly, we have a New York baseball doubleheader. Later in the show, SI senior writer Stephanie Epstein takes a look at how the Mets turned their team and their culture around to produce a surprisingly good and surprisingly functional season so far. But first, SI senior writer Tom Verducci joins me to discuss his sit-down with Yankee slugger Aaron Judge during his history-chasing season. I'm your host, John Gonzalez. From Sports Illustrated and iHeartRadio, this is Sports Illustrated Weekly. Tom Verducci, welcome back to Sports Illustrated Weekly. Hey, good to be here. All right, so you wrote a fantastic piece on Aaron Judge, who's having a really excellent season. The Yankee slugger is chasing home run history. You start the piece with an anecdote on August 12th, an at-bat facing Red Sox pitcher Nathan Evaldi, a changeup on ball one. Be judged to lead it off as we go to the third, one to nothing. Tell us why that pitch on that at-bat was so important and how it helps explain the season Judge is having. Well, first of all, Aaron Judge was really gracious with his time. Doesn't do a lot of sit-down interviews. So given that opportunity... My challenge was to really, if you will, kind of get inside of his head, right? We can all see the physical ability that he has, but what is it about Aaron Judge that's making this season so special? So I chose that pitch because to me, it's the intersection of all his experience in the major leagues, everything he's done physically to prepare himself. Now he's in a situation where everybody knows he's the most dangerous hitter in baseball. He sees so few actual good pitches to hit. And the amazing thing is when he gets them, he's hitting them for home runs. So this was kind of an entree into the mindset, the preparation, the intuition, if you will, of Aaron Judge to figure out 
How is it that this guy still is hitting home runs when pitchers know they can't afford to make mistakes? So that was a window up against Nathan Avaldi, the Red Sox, where he did take the split-finger changeup for ball one down and away. And his sense, and it's a little more than sense, but I'll say his sense told him the next pitch was going to be a fastball up and in. That's exactly where it was. Here's the 1-0. Swung on, there it goes deep left center field. It is high, it is far, it has gone out of the ballpark. And once again, he didn't miss it. I mean, sometimes yeah. hitters get pitches they're looking for and they foul it off, they pop it up, they hit it hard to the shortstop. This guy hit it on the parking garage in left field. Yeah, he hit that pitch 113.8 miles per hour, harder than any ball hit all season by any right-hand batter on a up-and-in fastball. And as you said, he crushed it out of Fenway. And it's so cool that you got to sit down and talk to him about how he studies the game, how he does his homework on pitchers like this. And I'm sure for him, it was nice for him to do that against the Red Sox in Boston. He gets a little extra enjoyment out of that. At the time that we were recording, 46 home runs through the first 113 games. So he's chasing this record. He had some thoughts on the record and who holds the real one, right? He did. And it's a question all of us as fans of the game really ask ourselves all the time ever since the steroid era kind of yeah. blew up the record book. What is the record? Well, the official record, obviously, 73 home runs by Barry Bonds. But it's interesting, since testing for PEDs has been in place since 2003, no one has even hit 60 home runs. So in the minds of a lot of people, the authentic record, if not the official one, is the 61 by Roger Maris in 1961. So I was curious to think, what does Aaron Judge think about what the record is? And listen, he grew up as a fan of the Giants. But he said 73 is 73. It was done. Whatever that arrow was, that's what it was. You still have to go out there and do it. So in his mind, that is the record. But he was quick to point out, I didn't have to bring this up, the American League record is 61. Fastball hit deep to right. It's put the hit way back there. Holy cow, he's it. 61 for And he said, I've got a shot at that. And boy, does he. Yeah, he really does. There's so much going on for him, Tom. And as you said, he doesn't do a lot of these interviews. I think it's really cool that you got him to sit down and, and discuss this because there's the on-field component where he's chasing this record or records, depending on how you, you know, what your perspective is on it. And then there's all the stuff swirling around him and the club and the contract extension that he was offered. Started the season turning down a massive contract extension that created some tension between him and the Yankees, right? Because the Yankees went public with the terms which it seemed like Judge was not exactly thrilled about. No, you're absolutely right. And that's what Judge told me. He said, listen, I thought those conversations, talking about the contract negotiations, were private. And as you mentioned, right before opening day was played, the Yankees not only announced that Judge had turned down this contract offer, but they gave the terms of that deal. And it was about $30.5 million per year over seven years. Would have made Aaron Judge, on average annual value, about the 19th, 20th highest paid player. Obviously, he found that unsatisfactory, but he didn't like the fact that this offer came in at the last minute and then was made public. Now, he said, told me, listen, I had a chance if I wanted to, to make a big deal out of that and go all negative on teammates, sure. front office, fan base. He said, but you know what? I decided I'm going to turn that into a positive. I'm still playing for the New York Yankees, no matter what the contract situation is, at least for 2022. I'm going to make the best of this. And he's done nothing but add to his value. And who knows how much farther north that number is going. But there's that phrase, hey, he bet on himself. He's going to cash in big. 
Yeah, I love that you bring up the better on himself part because everybody would think about it that way. Or at least those of us who follow sports or are not professional athletes would say, oh, he, he bet on himself. But you talked to him about this and you wrote that the easy angle is that he bet on himself. But Judge told you he doesn't see it that way, right? Yeah, I love that response. I thought it was really interesting. He said, it wasn't a gamble. I'm not betting on myself. Now, it speaks to his supreme confidence. Oof. But he said, listen, I, I'm still playing for the Yankees, whether I signed a deal or not, talking about 2022 season. That didn't change. And I, I think he's at a point in his career where he is so confident in himself. And the one thing I have to point out here is that one of the reasons the contract offer wasn't bigger was because Aaron Judge has been hurt a lot in his yeah. career. But Aaron Judge went into great detail explaining to me why that no longer applies to him. He's done a lot of things with his training, both before games and after games. And he feels like his body is very different from what it was in his younger days. So part of his confidence, yeah, he's a great hitter. He knows it. But it's also knowing he has a lot of confidence in the way his body now is responding to the grind of a season. Because he said, yeah, you're, some people would say you're taking a gamble. What if you get hurt? But it seemed to me, and Aaron explaining this to me, that he's so confident in his routine right now, he wasn't worried about getting hurt at all. So he's staying healthy, obviously a big deal for him and his season, and it's going to help with the contract. And those numbers, as you kind of alluded to, are just ticking up, ratcheting up. Another thing I found really interesting about the piece, and it was so smart that you pointed this out, is that he's having this historic season and he's staying healthy and he's hitting the ball crushing at a time when it's become really hard to hit a baseball. Mm -hmm. Through three quarters of the season, the collective league batting average is the fourth lowest since 1900, which just like absolutely blew me away, Tom. Did you spend much time reflecting on that or did Aaron Judge spend much time reflecting on that with you that he's having such a successful season in a time when many of his peers are not? Yeah, we talked a lot about, especially the velocity in the game that you see on a nightly basis. It used to be maybe the closer for the other team was a guy who threw really hard upper 90s. Now you see it from one through nine in terms of the innings of a game. The number of pitches thrown 100 miles an hour or more just in the last three years has tripled. And a swing and a miss, 102 again for strike three. And the amount of spin in the game today has gone up. There's more breaking pitches now than fastballs. That's the first time it's ever happened in baseball history. As you mentioned, it's harder to get a hit in today's game than it's ever been since the mound was lowered back in 1969. So Judge is doing this at a time where I think it's harder to hit than ever before. Now, one thing he did tell me about how to combat that, a lot of times before a game, he'll go in and hit against a high-velocity machine. This is a pitching machine that cranks the ball up as high as 110 miles per hour. And wow. what they'll do is they'll put some softer, dimpled baseballs in there because you're going to get jammed. Even as sure. good as Eric Judge is, coming in that hard, you're going to get jammed. Yeah. So you get in there to train your eyes and your muscles to hit against something that's actually even faster than what you'll see in the game. And he said, that's really helped him. He's done this the last couple of years to help slow down this extreme velocity we see in the game. You mentioned that he doesn't give a lot of these interviews, and yet he gave an interview to you, and you got so much good stuff. I mean, all these anecdotes that you were throwing at me right here are fascinating for me. Not to do the, like, too inside baseball here, but get a little inside baseball on the media with me. Like, what was he like to interview as a subject? Well, he was great, first of all, because he's a very, I mean, he's a gentleman. He talked to me about his parents, both of whom are school teachers, and he said that's where he gets this 
really incredible respect he has for other people, even empathy. He's, he's great with kids. He has a foundation that reaches out to a lot of kids and, and provides education opportunities for them. But it's all about just treating people. And I think Aaron Judge, especially this year, has so many demands on him. And yet, I think it doesn't really affect who he is as a person. Yeah, I don't think he loves uh, talking about himself. It's probably not his favorite subject, so I'm glad he gave me that opportunity to kind of dive into yeah. what what makes him tick. Um, but he's more about team and, again, about really other people rather than talking about himself. If you want to sit down and talk to Eric Judge about his teammates or the team, he'll go on all day. So I was happy he gave me this time because he is a fascinating study. Uh, and one of the things I really wanted to get into was the fact that, you know, it wasn't like this guy came out of the gate like some phenom. Sure. You know, he had 179 his first year. He struck out almost half the times he came to the plate. So what you're seeing now is the evolution of a great hitter, not one who is necessarily born from day one of the big leagues that way. Yeah, from a reporting perspective, from a journalism perspective, I love that you got this access. But just also from a fan consumer perspective, like this is this is a really fantastic piece and you got some really good time with him. I want to ask you, though, where you think all of this ends up on two different fronts. Let's start with the record or records, your perspective. Where do you think he ends up home run wise this season? I think he does hit number 62. I, I, he's not going to get 73, but sure. Uh, at first, I was very skeptical because I thought the closer he got and the more there is less help in the Yankee lineup for him, the fewer pitches he would see to hit, which is true. But I'm continually blown away by the fact that when he does see something, he's hitting it out of the ballpark. High drive, left field, going back, Kane, turning, locking, see number 55, double nickels. It is sort of Barry Bonds-esque, maybe not quite to that extent, but his ability not to miss the rare pitch is just incredible. So that's why I think he can still get this done. I think the longest he's gone this year without a home run is nine games, so he's been very consistent. Listen, I think it's not a done deal, but I, I think he does wind up hitting number 62. And obviously that's American League record, the Yankee franchise record, and especially in this day and age, that should be celebrated big time. It will be celebrated probably by his bank account as well. <laughs> I'm wondering what you what you think happens there after the season. As you wrote, the Yankees offered him $30.5 million per year, which sounds like a ton to me. Yeah. But then, as you noted, 11 players make more, including two on his own team. He's going to get paid. What kind of numbers do you think he's looking at? Yeah, I also, I think you have to, besides all the home runs he hits, talk about the impact that he has at the gate, right? Off the field and on the mm -hmm. field. He is one of the rare baseball players who I think can walk down any street in America and people know who he is. Of course, he's six foot seven, so that helps. Yeah, yeah. But he does have this star quality about him. He is a drawing card. So when you sign Aaron Judge, you're getting great offensive production. A guy who can play center field at six foot seven, but you're also getting a guy who will sell tickets and draw eyeballs to your regional sports network. So the investment in Aaron Judge is going to be big, but I think the return is just as big. So where the number goes, I think now you're looking at over 35 million a year, probably again, maybe seven, maybe he gets the eighth year now because he has now played two straight years fully healthy, playing in almost, well, more than 90% of the Yankees games. He's proven that. Where he goes, I still think he winds up with the Yankees. I think in his heart of hearts, you know, this is the only organization he plays for and wants to continue playing for them. But 
As I mentioned, he was a Giants fan growing up. The Giants certainly need a new star out there in that ballpark mm. in San Francisco. You've got the New York Mets looming if they get bounced in the playoffs early. Maybe Steve Cohen wants to get the biggest star he can get his hands on, who is Aaron Judge. Listen, there's going to be a, it's the top of the market. Only the, the richest teams can afford him. But I do think with all said and done, it's going to be between 35 and 40 million a year. Yeah, so much going on. It's so fascinating to watch him this season and then into the offseason. But as he said, as he told you, all that other stuff is why he has an agent. Read his excellent piece about Aaron Judge on SI.com. It's really good. So much access, so many things in there to unpack. Tom Verducci, you killed it. Thank you. Cool stuff. Thanks for having me. After the break, we take a look at how the Mets have stopped being, well, the Mets and have found success this season. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Nikki Glazer Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glazer Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glazer Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glazer Podcast to start listening. Stephanie Epstein, welcome back to Sports Illustrated Weekly. Thanks for having me. Great to see you again. We're about to discuss something, frankly, Steph, that I would rather not. Making a Philly native talk about this feels criminal. I've debated whether or not I should file an HR complaint about this, but we're making an exception because you are the author of this piece. You wrote a story about the New York Mets, essentially the Mets not being MLB's biggest and most consistent fail son, which is what we've known them as for quite some time. I like personally stuff when they're more of a joke, uh, but they haven't been this season. As we record this, Atlanta has essentially caught them in the NL East. And we will discuss if the Mets are going to end up Metsing in the end. But still, on the whole, macro terms, this has been a good season for them. Yeah, they've played great. And even the fact that Atlanta has caught them, it's not, the Mets haven't really played badly. Atlanta's just been playing great. So you mentioned in your piece, you start with an anecdote and it involves new owner Steve Cohen and president Sandy Alderson. And it certainly helps the Mets in their metamorphosis that Cohen is extremely rich, exceedingly rich, even by billionaire standards. And you start the piece with Cohen giving everyone a raise at Alderson's request. Why is that significant? I think that this is sort of how the Mets should always have been behaving, right? Like this is the biggest market in the country and they should should act like it. And over the past several decades, they have not really. I mean, I guess past decade is more accurate because it was after the uh, Madoff scandal, which the yeah. previous owner of the Mets, the Wilpons, were heavily invested in, that they really stopped being able to make payroll almost. They were taking out loans from the league and it became sort of a sort of a silly situation where like scouts were getting pulled off the road because they didn't want to pay for their expenses. Good morning. The New York Mets shut out from new funds from Major League Baseball. Sources tell the New York Times the league is not willing to give any new substantial loans. They're really starting to nickel and dime things. And, you know, these are the New York Mets. They should be, they could be on par from, in a lot of ways, with the New York Yankees. And so I think we get an owner like Steve Cohen, who has the money that he has, and he shows up in one of his first acts is to spend it on the people who work there. I think that says to your employees, okay, this might be a little bit different. Yeah, pay your people more. It ends up working out great. Alderson told you that it improved morale. You mentioned the previous owners. How bad was morale under the Wilpons post-Bernie Madoff scam? I think it just started to feel ridiculous a lot of the time. Like, why didn't they have Old Timers Day before the last this year? Because it's expensive to have Old Timers Day. You have to pay for you have to pay for it. And so they didn't want to do that. Like, why didn't they retire numbers? You have to pay for it. And so some of these, some of the places that they cut costs, I think, felt ridiculous. And the Wilpons, you know, it was not a totally bad ownership experience. You know, they made they they made it to the World Series. They the the team was interesting, but I think by the end, it was starting to feel like a pretty a pretty bad marriage. 
So things are obviously going much better now than they were then. But you wrote that even under Cohn's new ownership, they still have some old Mets to them. Cohn's first GM was fired. Jared Porter sent an explicit unsolicited text to a female reporter. Zach Scott replaced him. He was fired for allegedly driving under the influence after a team fundraiser. We should note that Scott was acquitted. A 2021 review of workplace culture led to the firing of the heads of the legal and HR departments. The players were no better. Francisco Lindor reportedly grabbed second baseman Jeff McNeil by the throat last year. And then Lindor, Javier Baez, and Kevin Pillar began booing fans when they were playing well, which honestly stuff I thought was hilarious. That was like the first thing the Mets had ever done where I was like, hey, good job, Mets. But clearly they had a lot to do to change the culture, right? It was too silly. Francisco Lindor told me he felt like it was an unprofessional organization last year. And I think you can see that in the way a lot of people involved with it behaved. So what what changed then with the culture this year? I mean, I, obviously, they're doing well. They've been atop the NL East all season. We mentioned that the Braves are closing in on them, but there had to be a pretty significant shift in the way they operated. Yeah, it's a few things. One is that just the players are older. They've added some sort of like notable adults in that clubhouse. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of yeah. people who... Uh, you know, Buck sometimes likes to talk about eliminating sympathetic ears. Like, there are not a lot of people in that room anymore who will listen to you patiently while you gripe about how your life feels hard because you got in late on a charter flight. There, you yeah. know, Buck basically, he once saw that players at a previous team were sort of browsing in the clubhouse and he came in and said, oh my God, did the did the checks bounce? The guys were like, <laughs> well, and he was like, did... Did, surely you're not the only reason you could be behaving like this is because you're not getting paid millions of dollars to play a baseball game right and they were like well, well no and he was like okay then I don't want to hear it and so yeah. that you know there's like a little bit of a red ass quality to that that is probably not that he he's able to leaven with other uh, the other ways he interacts with them but I do think that that attitude of shut up play better has been yeah. really helpful to them and then there is also, it just helps to have the most money. You can just go, you can buy the best players. You can buy the best equipment. You can you can do kind of whatever you want that you think will help. He's in the second year of owning the team, Cohen. And so I think that he's found his footing and they're, they're pretty willing to drop cash on things that they think will help. I like that attitude from Buck Showalter. I'm wondering what you make of him. I got to cover him in another life a long time ago because I'm old. But I always liked Buck Walter, and I like that approach where he's sort of no nonsense on that front. Yeah, I can see why sometimes his act gets tired at teams where he sort of wears out his welcome. Yeah. But I think he's the, pretty much the perfect manager for this group because I think they had they had like some babies in a clubhouse last year. There, were, there was not enough accountability. There was, people were focusing on the wrong things. And he doesn't have patience for that. And he also has a pretty good way of empowering veterans to speak up in moments like that. So there's you, you don't get the sense that that sort of thing is acceptable because the manager doesn't doesn't put up with it, the coaches don't put up with it, and the, the veteran players don't put up with it. And so, you know, I was talking to Tywan Walker about this, and he said the, the stuff about the thumbs down and the fake hitting coach and the rat raccoon, all the nonsense from last year, None of that would have gotten this far because Buck would have sniffed that out immediately and put a stop to it. So we wouldn't, the media wouldn't even have heard about it because it wouldn't have gotten past him. He doesn't spend a lot of time in the clubhouse because he thinks that's the player's room, but he does manage to have his finger on the pulse. It's, it's a pretty good balancing act, I think. He does, he's done a really good job. And I think he does a good job too of listening 
for these guys. I think he's been criticized in the past for being, maybe ruling with too much of an iron fist, being a little bit too much of a pain. But here, he's very good at checking in with his veterans when the team is going to make a roster move. Very often, the, the veteran players will know about it before it happens, and so they can prepare for it. If, you know, if they're going to send somebody down or release somebody, he tells the players beforehand so that they can be ready to cushion the blow in the clubhouse. And I think getting that level of buy-in from your veterans is important. And you would mention it's not just Buck, too, right? I mean, there are, there are adults in the room. Uh, I like that you wrote that Max Scherzer leads the professionalism parade. Tell us about Max and the professionalism parade. Max is very, he's a big accountability guy. A lot of these guys are big on accountability. And I asked him when that became important to him. And he said he had had a really good season when he was with the Diamondbacks. And he sort of thought, like, okay, I've kind of got this figured out. And then the next year, he was one of the worst pitchers in baseball. And that made him realize that if you, for one second, think that you know what you're doing, this game will will turn you upside down. He realized that you really have to, every day, figure out what you've done right, what you've done wrong, what you can do better. You have to focus on those small steps. And he has tried to bring that to his career ever since. And so he does things like, after an outing, you know, this is Max Scherzer. He's a fairly intimidating guy. He's, you know, so he could intimidate his teammates but he pulls them all together the other starting pitchers after he comes out of a start and he says what did you guys see like good and bad tell me what you saw because in that moment he says is when you can best learn from whatever happened and so they've got this sort of adorable little tradition now where as soon as the starter comes out of the game the other starting pitchers swarm him and they talk about his outing and they feel comfortable saying what they think he did well and what they think he didn't do well because if you can say that to, you know, this future Hall of Famer on your staff, surely you can talk to David Peterson about what he needs to work on. And so that sort of willingness to have your performance taken apart and to look for what can be better, it sets an example, but it also, he's vocally saying, this is what we should be doing. So all that sounds good. Time should be good. They're playing well. They're getting along. There's no drama. And yet they are still the Mets. Not exactly great with the media. They had agreed to make front office staffers available to you and then didn't. You got Alderson, but not Cohen. Cohen isn't Wilpon, but he also has some problems too. Tell us about his day job and why it's a bit dodgy. Sure. I mean, nothing is is just one thing, right? Nothing is just simply good yeah. or simply bad. And I think Steve Cohen has gotten to the point where he can be as successful as he is because he has some business practices that bump up against lines or sometimes allegedly cross them. So for example, his firm settled basically the largest insider trading case in history, paid the largest fine for that ever. He was not personally accused of wrongdoing and he has denied personal wrongdoing, but he did oversee a firm that admitted to wrongdoing. There have been various grievances filed against him for gender discrimination in the years since then. They have settled all those grievances. They have denied wrongdoing, but he does bring his own baggage. And, you know, the team continues to make some sort of goofy mistakes, like the way they handle the media can be kind of ridiculous. I mean, he he did oversee the organization when they were firing two successive general managers. So it's not it's not as easy as just bring in the guy with the money and things get easier. It takes some time, I think, to rebuild a culture. And it seems like they are doing that, but it is worth remembering who the people are at the helm. 
And they are rebuilding the culture, but as you mentioned, they do still make the goofy Mets mistakes like how they handle the media. Sometimes even their own media, they still have a bit of an uncomfortable relationship with their broadcasters, right? And they whine about Gary Cohn and Keith Hernandez and Ron Darling. How's that received? Yeah, so if for people who have or people who have not watched the Mets broadcast, the Mets broadcasters are, if not the best in baseball, then the top two. And part of the reason that they are such a great watch is they're pretty candid about what they're seeing and often that means the Mets will make a mistake and the broadcasters will talk about it for the next three innings. Why would Frank Francisco be throwing it to Jason Worth? Because he's a fool. That's why. And so if you are a Met, you might not appreciate that. Fans love it because they really learn about the game. But the Mets are like, this guy is on my team plane. Why does it sound like he's rooting against me? And so every year, a couple of times a year, there's some little issue where they start griping. It's it's pretty passive aggressive. They don't usually get into it physically, although that has happened. But for the most part, they just start kind of complaining that these guys aren't nice enough for them. And one thing I thought was really interesting is that that hasn't happened this year. And it's not just because they've been playing better. It's not just because of this sort of accountability culture. It's because Buck Showalter muted the TVs in the clubhouse. So they just can't hear There's it. a mute button. Yeah. Yeah. Just why would we why would we let this be a problem? We don't need to watch the game with the volume on. We know what's happening. So they just, they can't hear it. If only they had thought about sticking their fingers in their ears sooner, all the problems would have gone away. I love that. All right, I want to end this by asking you the very questions that you pose at the beginning of the piece in the nut graph. Are attitude, personnel, and money and one competent season enough to erase decades of dysfunction, Steph? Put simply, can this possibly continue? Can the Mets avoid being the Mets in perpetuity? We're going to see. They've made it through most of a season this way, and that's something they hadn't done in a long time. Things are looking up, but I think for most fans, it's what you do in the playoffs that matters, and so that will be the ultimate deciding factor. Yeah, I'm over here crossing all my fingers and toes that uh, they return to form. But we'll see. Read her very good piece on the no good because I'm re- uh, required to hate them. The Mets on SI.com. Excellent piece. I might dislike the Mets, but I love having her on. Stephanie Epstein, thank you for this. Thanks for having me. Sports Illustrated Weekly is a production of Sports Illustrated and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. And for more of Sports Illustrated's best stories and podcasts, visit SI.com. This episode of Sports Illustrated Weekly was produced by Jordan Rizzieri, Jessica Yarmoski, and Isaac Lee, who was also our sound engineer. Our senior producers are Dan Bloom and Harry Swartout. Our executive producers are Scott Brody and me, John Gonzalez. Our theme song is by Nolan Schneider. And if you've stuck around this long, we leave you with this. Did you expect this? I mean, I know that a lot of people had high hopes for the Mets coming into the season, but they are still the Mets. And so far, so good for them through almost the entire season. Yeah, I don't think I expected it. Uh, I thought there was a chance given the sort of some of the personnel that they added, but uh, I don't. I didn't expect them to play like this and to play to do it so uh undramatically and i'm not sure they did either
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening.